Have your Bibles? You do? Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Put your finger there. Also turn to Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is kind of the theme verse uh, for the centered series the next 10 weeks. So we'll read it each week and then we'll read other scriptures as well. Colossians 2. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wherever he goes, Jesus calls people to himself. He called the disciples to follow him. One by one they came and gathered around him, first the twelve, then many others. He called people to follow him. He called the religious leaders to leave behind their empty rituals and burdensome rules in order to follow him. He calls everyone from their life of sin to a life of righteousness and holiness in following him. time in my life. Jesus calls us all the time. He invites us to center our lives in him. How will you respond to that call? What will you say to him the next time he calls you? Will you even recognize it as his voice? Many times he calls to us and and it just passes by. Or maybe I should say we pass by it. We, We don't pause. We don't reflect on what he's trying to say to us. Uh, life is busy. We've got a to-do list to complete. 
how dare God interrupt us? How will we respond when he calls to us? Context of this passage we've read is uh, quite interesting. The chapter begins by telling us that uh, very shortly before this moment on the lake, that he had gotten word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by King Herod. Word of that must have troubled him deeply. How could it not? When he received that word, the scripture tells us that he went to a lonely place trying to get away from the crowds and spend some time talking to the Lord, but the crowds followed him. And so, because of the compassion of his heart, he began to work with them, to pray for them. It says specifically he healed them. And the crowd just kept coming and coming and coming, and Jesus is wanting to be alone to talk to his father about what had happened to his cousin. And the crowd continued to grow. At one point, it says that there with him on the mountainside were 5,000 men, but they only counted the heads of the men. There were women and children along, so uh, probably ten to 15,000 or more on the hillside. We don't see things like that today for religious leaders often, sometimes. But they followed him, and he spent time taking care of their needs. One point, the story reminds us that after they had been there for a while, it was coming toward the end of the day. It was too far to get back to town, and everyone was hungry. And so the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, we need a, we need a meal plan, fast. And Jesus looked at them and says, well, go gather up whatever you can get. And so they went out and gathered up what was there, and there were, in all of that crowd of thousands of people, uh, they managed to come up with two fish and five loaves. Two fish and five loaves. Uh, I don't know that that would feed us, let alone the crowd that was there with him on the hillside. And as he met with them, he took the fish and the loaves and he prayed for them and prayed for the meal, prayed for God's blessing, asked the disciples to start passing out the loaves and the fish, and everybody ate. And when they were finished eating, the disciples collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. That's Jesus. He calls us to respond to him, and then he acts, and then he releases his power, his purpose. But he calls. He called for the crowd to share what they had to eat. And little was given, but much was accomplished. And everyone ate. After that, still needing time alone with his father, wanting to center his life and his father's will, wanting to understand exactly what it was that was happening as his cousin's life had been taken. He sent the disciples away. He sent the crowd away. And stayed on the mountainside. Darkness had come. Night came. Midnight came. Past midnight came. The disciples were still on the lake trying to get to the other side of the lake in the little boat that they had and straining and struggling because the wind was against them, the scripture says. 
If you've ever been in a little sailboat on a lake, you understand that the wind changes everything. And they were just kind of stuck at sea. And Jesus finishes praying, having found whatever it was that he needed from his father. He, he left the mountainside and went to be with the disciples. Well, they were still on the lake. So how did he get there? He walked. He walked. And as he walked and approached the boat where the disciples were, they saw him coming, but they didn't know it was him. They saw an unexplainable phenomena. Didn't have the term for that. You know, it wasn't a UFO. So they said, ghost. It's got to be a ghost. And in fear, they wonder what's happening, and they start crying and shouting. And finally, Jesus calls out to them. And while they didn't recognize him, they recognized his voice. They recognized his voice. That little phrase we read over, it's not even really there so much that it says they recognized his voice, but that's what it amounts to. As he calls to them, and they respond. Peter especially responds. Exuberant Peter wants to join him on the water. But his fear derails him. He gets out of the boat, begins walking, and as he walks, he begins to sink. But before we start making judgments about Peter, we need to remember that the others chose to remain in a hopeless situation, stuck on a boat to nowhere. At least he tried to get out of the boat and to walk with Jesus. But he was derailed by his fear. The others were derailed by their unwillingness to leave what seemed like security to join Jesus as he walked to their destination. This begs a question. What derails you? What derails you from moving closer to Jesus? Is it stubbornness? Is it unwillingness to give up the control of your life? Is it fear that he will change you in a way that you don't really want to be changed? Is it fear of the unknown? Is it that you just have your life organized and planned out? And there's no room for him to change it? Because you've got it down. You've figured it out. What does your boat to nowhere look like? Because if we don't get out of the boat to follow him, to be with him, that's where we are. A boat stuck at sea, fighting against the wind, a boat to nowhere. He calls you. He shows you glimpses, sometimes a whole vision of what life with him can be. Are you going to get out of your boat and follow him? John Ortberg is one of my favorite preachers and writers. One of his books, uh, he came up with the great title. I just love the title. Before you can walk on the water, you have to get out of the boat. Before you can move closer to Jesus, you have to get out of your boat to nowhere. You have to be willing to embrace him and move closer to him to respond 
to him. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional booklet, My Utmost for His Highest, says these words. It is easier to serve God without a vision, easier to work for God without a call, because when you are not bothered by what God requires, common sense is your guide, veneered over with Christian sentiment. You will be more prosperous and successful, more leisure-hearted, if you never realize the call of God. But if once you receive a commission from Jesus Christ... The memory of what God wants will always come like a goad. You will no longer be able to work for him on the common sense basis. God calls us. Are we going to get out of the boat and respond? He calls us from fear to courage. That's where he was calling Peter that day on the water. Called him from fear to courage. He he said... You've got to keep your eyes on me. You can't get fearful at the things around you. you. You can't even pay attention to what you know are the natural forces of nature because I can overcome those. Just keep your eye on me. You don't have to worry about the wind blowing or how deep the water is or whether you're sinking or not because if you keep your eyes on me, you'll walk on the water. Max Lucado says, As awe of Jesus expands, fear of life, fears of life diminish. A big God translates into big courage. Now, I I confess, it takes a big God in order for us to get out of our boats to walk on the water to go to a place where we haven't been or a destination we can't see or to to behave in a way that seems different and strange. It takes courage to trust that. And in order to do that, we have to know who Jesus really is. We have to know him thoroughly and completely. We have to know him intimately. We have to know him well. If you have your own Bible with you today, I'm going to encourage you to mark a, scra- a passage of a, a scripture, a, a passage of scripture. <laughs> Colossians chapter one, beginning at verse 15, is one of the clearest testimonies of the Bible of who Jesus is. It's not the only one, but it's one of the primary ones. In those times when someone asks you about who Jesus is or where, when in your own mind you, you need it clarified, this is a good place to come. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. All of that, if you continue in your faith. You see, fear diminishes when we gain clarity about the person of Jesus. This is why we're being mentored in things of God is so important. This is what centered is about. It's about gaining clarity about Jesus and the Christian faith. It's about spending time over the next several weeks of exploring things that, that maybe we know, maybe we don't, maybe we're reviewing, maybe we're learning anew, but to let ourselves again be centered in Christ. If you have your newsletter from today, you see on the very front page of that, the, the list of topics we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. Next week, who is God? Following Jesus. Presence, which is a, a teaching about the Holy Spirit. Abiding, commission, love, provision, enemy, church. And for the next weeks together, we'll be studying what these things mean and how they help us to center our life in Christ. God calls us through Jesus to step out of the boat, to trust him to center our life on him, to keep our eyes focused in his direction and our attention on him. Jesus also calls us from familiarity to discovery. Familiarity to discovery. As best I know, maybe some better historians than me would be able to help me with this, but the best I know, only two people have ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. One of those failed. But he took a few steps. But Jesus called Peter out of the ordinary, out of the familiar, out of security, what felt like security, even though the boat wasn't going anywhere, into a whole new dimension, a dimension of discovery. Jesus calls us to engage in the new. He talks about New wineskins and old wineskins. Revelation reminds us that the one who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He's making everything new. People who don't like change will have a problem with Jesus. He's the one who changes our hearts, our minds, our habits our spending, our relationships. He changes everything. I could keep going and going. He changes everything. But too often, we want to stay in the boat rather than embrace the new thing he wants to do for us. The boat may be sinking. The boat may be stalled in the midst of the sea. But it's the boat we know, so we stay on board. And yet Jesus calls us to discover new ways of thinking, new habits, new opportunities, new ways to engage in the world around us. He wants to make you new. That means change. That means adjusting, readdressing issues. He wants to help us 
on a journey of discovery, not just to stay in the familiar. It doesn't mean we lose everything that's familiar and comfortable and everything we like. like. That's, that's not what Christianity is about. But it is about discovering the new things that God brings into our lives and to center our life about him. Jesus calls us from passivity to engagement. Are we just going to sit in the boat and watch Jesus walk by? Are we going to get out and join him? Now, to be fair to the story and true to the account of what happened that day after Peter's little debacle, Jesus did get in the boat and help the rest of them. He didn't just leave them stranded there. But Jesus isn't going to sit and wait for us to accomplish his, his plans, his goals, and his purposes. He invites us to join him in what he is doing. One of the ones that really helped me the most to understand that is a man named Henry Blackaby. His book, Experiencing God, in that book over and over again, he talks about watch what God is doing and join him. Watch what God is doing and join him. Hmm. Passivity to engagement. We want to stay in the boat where it's comfortable and nice and familiar and we don't have to do much. It's easy to stay with the familiar. We've got it down. We've, we can do it with our eyes closed. It's kind of like the Easter egg hunt that we did a couple of weeks ago for the children in the community. The first time we did that, we, we had tons and tons of volunteers here because we'd never done it before and it took all of us to make it happen. This year we did it with less than 10 people and it was just as effective and good as when we had 25 people helping. We're familiar with it now. We've got it down. We know what needs to happen. It's not new to us anymore. And sometimes we approach all of our life that way. We've got it down. We know what we need to do. Don't interrupt us, Jesus. Don't send a new thing our way. We're just really comfortable right where we are. And yet Jesus always invites us out of the boat to follow him to walk with him, to engage in life with him. Passivity to engagement. These next weeks together are an opportunity for you to up your engagement with Christ and with his church. I'm so looking forward to the conversations on Wednesday night. And they're going to be just that. They're going to be conversations. We're not really teaching. We're just helping each other. And those conversations will be based around the talks that we're doing on Sunday, Pastor TJ and I, but they'll also be about the journal that's a part of the the centered experience. And I hope many of you will get one of those journals. The the journal gives you three readings per week, weekly readings, and then three to five reflection questions to help you process what's going on in that. And the the idea is that we work on those. We come together on Wednesday night and we talk about that topic and have questions that we help one another answer and insights that uh, maybe you have that the person beside you doesn't have. And we all sharpen each other, help each other. It's the old proverb, you know, iron sharpens iron. And that's what those discussions will be about. If you need one of those journals, uh, mark it on your connection card. We're going to have to order more, I hope, because I... I hope we run out. So 
We need to know if you want one of those. But we're calling you to move from passivity about your relationship with Christ to engagement in centering your life in Him. I'm going to quote John Ortberg uh, from a different book, not, not the Get Out of the Boat book, but a different thing he says. Very rarely in the Bible does God command someone to stay. He opens a door, and then he invites us to walk through it into the unknown. And how we choose to respond will ultimately determine the life we will lead and the person we will become. In fact, to fail to embrace the open door is to miss the work God has made for us to do. Don't miss what God has for you over these next weeks together. Engage. Step out of the boat. Walk through the open door. And let your life be centered in Christ. Jesus calls us from passivity to engagement, but he also calls us from doubt to faith. It didn't escape your attention what Jesus said to Peter when he began to uh, wash under the waves. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I've, I've tried to think of how Peter might have answered that. And I'm not sure that I have any insight. But I know one thing that it might have been. It might have been just he began to think about the natural laws of nature rather than keeping his eyes on Jesus. That's somewhat understandable, don't you think? I mean, you know, nobody else had before had walked on water before that day. Don't you think if you were walking across water, you might look around and say, oh, hey, wait, I'm not supposed to be able to do this. Hmm. So what's your excuse? Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt when you hear God's call? But you see, the problem really isn't doubt. We all have doubts from time to time. The problem is remaining in our doubt. If you read the Gospel of Luke and you hear the announcement from the angel to Mary that she's going to bear a son and yet be, continue to be a virgin, and she says, how can this be? The problem wasn't that Mary doubted that it could happen. Uh, That wasn't a problem. She overcame her doubt, and she embraced what God had for her. Doubt's not the problem. Philip Yancey says doubt is something almost every person experiences at some point, yet something that the church does not always handle well. And Yancey says, I'm an advocate of doubt because that's why I became a Christian in the first place. I love it. Just being honest. There are times we all have doubts. But don't stay in your doubts. Peter didn't. Now, he, he struggled. But there came a point when everything changed and, and that Jesus was able to know that he wasn't stuck in doubt, but that he was a man of faith. But it begins when we get our eyes back on Jesus. He helps us to overcome our doubts. He helps us to resurrect new faith in our life. Billy Graham, in an article that he wrote long ago for Decision Magazine, which was his publication about his ministry, uh, talked about doubt. 
He said, when you experience times of doubt and unanswered questions weaken your faith, turn to the word of God for reassurance. That's what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks. We're going to turn to the word of God to get ourselves centered back in Christ. Romans 15.1 says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Taking hold of the scriptures and weaving them into our prayers and into our life is the first step toward a confident faith, Dr. Graham said. Do you doubt that the Lord rules over over all? The scripture says Christ is far above all rule and authority power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Do you doubt God's presence in times of trouble and uncertainty? Then remember the scriptures from all over the Bible that promise that he will be with us in trouble, and he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Do you have doubts arising from self-condemnation, from insecurity? John says, and by this we know that we are of the truth, And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Jesus calls us from doubt to faith. Centered will help us get out of the boat. It would help us move from doubt to faith. It will help us to move from passivity to engagement. It will help us. Jesus calls us from fear to courage, from familiarity to discovery, from passivity to engagement, from doubt to faith. And that's his call to you. And it's my prayer that over the next few weeks, between now and about the middle of June, when we wrap up this series, that you find all of those changes happening in your life. And that you find your life centered in him. I hope you'll join us in that journey, not just on Sunday morning, but in other ways. In ways that aren't a part of what we're doing, that you'll create your own methods and ways to move closer to Jesus. So that your life can be centered in him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the weeks ahead. We look forward to them with joy. We know that you're calling us. You always call us. Help us to recognize your voice, to know your purposes and your plans. Help us to believe and have faith. Help us to move forward with confidence that our lives could be centered in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.